We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. And welcome to episode 303 of We Turned Out Okay. This is the show where we're always working to help you change your child's behavior from bad to good, feel happy inside, and truly enjoy the time that you spend with your family. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you are here today. I am Karen Locke Culp. I am a child development expert and the host of this show. I've got a website uh, that I created called WeTurnedOutOK.com. And there's lots of really good resources for you over there, some parenting books that I have written and um, some, uh, you know, 300 plus back episodes of the show. There's lots of good stuff. And um, I am super excited to bring you this episode today because I am interviewing a wonderful woman named Hunter Clark Fields. Um, She is just a really special woman in the, uh, in the world of kind of internet parenting advice. She's also an author. She's written a great book that we we do talk about coming up in today's episode um, or today's conversation. And I, uh, I, I'm very excited because um, we've been trying to plan this now for months. And so to have it finally happen uh, is great. So uh, just a couple of things to talk about before we get there. I am uh, every every Monday in the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group, I do a thing called Magic Words for Parents. And this one is um, the one that I just did this past Monday, if you're listening in real time, has to do with today's conversation because uh, I'm giving magic words to help you and and help your child approach life with a resilient mindset. And um, so you can click the link in the show notes or go to facebook.com slash we turned out okay to join that group. And um, that's what the magic words for parents are this week. I, I'm excited about them. Um, they just, I was just buzzing after my conversation with Hunter and to be able to bring you, you know, a, a kind of a, a sneak preview and um, give you some, some words to take into your parenting week that I love doing that. That always makes me feel good that I can, you know, be helpful in that way. So, so that's the magic words for parents. The second thing that uh, I want to share is the parenting news. So, uh, a double, a double one again this week, because, uh, like last week, I want to share about an event coming up this coming Saturday. If you're listening in real time on Saturday, November the 9th, I will be at this event and um, and maybe you can be there too if you can be in Newton at the Newton Community Farm for a, an event that is put on by um, the, the, the 
the learning center that my uh, second, my youngest, Jason, attends now, and then um, uh, my oldest, Max, used to attend it as well. Um, it is an alternative, uh, you know, it's not really a school, but it's an alternative for high school age students who just want um, a little bit more freedom in what they're learning. And um, they are hosting, Bay State is hosting uh, an author named Ken Danford, who is actually the founder of the movement, the co-founder of the movement that Bay State is in called the Liberated Learners Association. And Ken has written a book that I'm reading right now and absolutely loving called Learning is Natural, School is Optional. And there's also going to be the screening of a movie about self-directed learning, which is called, I believe, Self-Taught. Um, the whole thing is free, which I did not mention last time. Um, and I'm going to link to the kind of Eventbrite, you know, one of those like online sort of registration forms so that you can uh you can sign up and 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 be there as i said though it's free they just want to know like how many chairs are we going to put out i'm on the chair committee <laughs> so how many chairs are we putting out you know what i mean like how much food should we have available for for people um and yeah so i would love it i'd love to see you there i think that would be very very fun um i'm looking forward to it i think that this is a great movement um i love what what my son's school slash learning center is doing with it. Uh, it's great. So um, come and learn more about it on Saturday at the Newton Community Farm. Okay. And then the second thing I wanted to share about in the parenting news is uh, the idea of social emotional learning, which is sounds like it's kind of being formalized in a lot of schools kind of across the country now, as, uh, as we learn that, like, it can't be only about science, technology, engineering, and mathematics because that sort of is hastening the breakdown of a, of a society. Uh, when we've talked about this before on the show, when we ignore the humanities, we do that at our own peril. And so social emotional learning is one way to kind of bring that back for children and families. And one of our NPC members, um, Jen, recently wrote in to our forums to share about how these are helping her daughter at home. So, so some of the things that they do in the, in their social emotional learning curriculum at school, uh, Jen's daughter, who is I believe six years old, is is bringing home. Specifically, she asked for um, they they do some kind of a feelings check in every day at school. And Jen's daughter said, "Could we please do this at home?" And so Jen wrote a letter to uh, her school, just saying like, "I just want you to know how well this is working for." Um, for my daughter. And, and the letter that she got back was just super sweet, like adorable. Um, and I wanted to read part of that letter because I, my point here is that social emotional learning isn't just for kids. Like this is something that everyone loves and, and feels good when it's, when it's done right. Right. So, um, so Jen writes, the teacher thanked me for sharing these stories and the counselor just gushed. Wow, I cannot thank you enough for this email. It is so amazing to hear this type of feedback. I'm so happy to hear that your daughter is benefiting so much from morning meeting and the feelings chart. Also that her classmates are being impacted by this in a positive way as well. This definitely makes all of the time and hard work totally worth it. It's not often that parents reach out to share the good stories like this. So I honestly cannot express how much this has meant to me. Um, when we when we take it upon ourselves to share something positive with someone, I mean, that makes, it just puts good into the world. And uh, like Jen didn't have to do this, right? She she could have just sort of done the things that they were doing without giving the, the feedback. And, um, and you can just hear 
how much that meant. Um, in fact, this this counselor goes on to ask, can I please share this with everybody in our district? Like, um, this is so cool. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make that the parenting news. Social emotional learning uh, is critical for our society, for any society to, um, to not just utilize, but like live in, be immersed in. If we, if we don't know how to, if we don't know how to understand our own feelings, if we don't know how to communicate, uh, to others, you know, things that are based around feelings. We talk a lot in NPC. We talk a lot on this show about how, um, how critical, like everything comes back to the feelings that motivated. If your child hits, it's because they were motivated to do that by something they were feeling or experiencing. If it's fear, if it's anger, if it's frustration and social emotional learning is a way to talk about those. And that is further discussed in episode 300 of the show. Um, So what I'm going to do is just make sure I link to that in the show notes as soon as I find some sort of writing implement. Um, Episode 300 was an extravaganza where we brought on two beloved uh, former guests, recent guests, um, Janine Halloran, who is an expert in coping skills, and Trisha Tomazo, who is a veteran preschool teacher. Uh, she's been doing this for almost 30 years. And she um, and they, I mean, just they, what the cool thing that that I loved about this so much is I asked each of them to bring a topic to our roundtable to talk about. And so a veteran preschool teacher who's been a special needs teacher teaching in an an integrated school system for almost 30 years and a licensed mental health counselor who spent time as a guidance counselor in school before before going on to other things. We'll talk about her again, Janine, because she sponsors the show with something really cool that she has made that's helping people develop coping skills. Um, Both of them brought social emotional learning as their topic unbeknownst to each other um for that show so i thought that was just really compelling and so i want to link to that show if you haven't heard it um you can go and listen to it so link to episode 300 okay um and that's the parenting news i I want you to know that like if if you're ever tempted to think like what's really the big deal come on social emotional learning like why is this so important um it's really important in, for a lot of different reasons. And I, I wanted you to hear some positive feedback from someone who is thrilled because a program that they are working on in a school is helping a family and a child even outside of school. So thank you very much, Jen, for posting in our forums. And thank you, um, you know, for for just trying to understand, even if it feels a little bit strange at first, how important that social emotional learning is. Uh, Okay, so the weekly newsletter, I put out a weekly newsletter every Wednesday, each and every Wednesday. And I, um, I have been having a lot of fun with with coming up with a topic, uh, and then writing about it. So this coming Wednesday, like in real time, the day after this show drops, if you're listening in real time, um, the, the weekly newsletter, the topic for it this week is the best kind of learning. And um, I'm not going to expand upon that at all here, but I'm excited because I, what, I, what I've been doing is sort of setting myself the challenge of like writing um, an essay that will help you be, you know, sh- I was going to say show up for your kids, but but more help you uh, kind of understand like what's going on in there? <laughs> Why do they do the things that they do? And um, this idea, the best kind of learning to me 
feels like it's going to be really important as you as you do that. So uh, similar to last week's, which was called the parent lottery, and I'm going to link to that as well. Um, we talk about the the best kinds of discipline styles that will help you help your child win the parent lottery. Um, so I also want to link to the parent lottery. Okay. Um, and you can sign up for that weekly newsletter by going to we turned out okay.com slash weekly W E E K L Y. That way they drop right into your inbox. And one really cool thing that a lot of you, I'm so excited about this are taking advantage of is the weekly newsletter. Um, as soon as you sign up, you, you automatically get an email from me that says, um, thank you for signing up. I'm excited. You know, you'll get the next one that comes out. Um, and what's, if you'd share with me your biggest challenge, uh, I would, I would love that. I I like to have conversations around that. Um, what I try to do is be helpful immediately. So I might give you, you know, the link to a podcast episode that I've recorded, or, um, even just kind of share, commiserate with you. Some people have had some incredible questions and I think that it, uh, you know, sharing your challenge with someone like like me, who's a child development expert, can be really helpful um, for you because you're getting help right away. But then the other thing that can be helpful is it helps me understand like what do you need, <laughs> um, so that I can I can get you more of that, more of what you need. And uh, thank you so much for all of your emails. Uh, the, some of them have come because of this, because of the weekly newsletter. And um, and sometimes you just write to me because you had something you wanted to share. And I love that too. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for sharing about the show. Um, it means so much to me. And uh, I love that a lot of listeners learned about We Turned Out Okay because of people who were already listening and thought, you know, this was something worthy of sharing. And so when you share about it, I feel incredibly grateful because you find it worthy of sharing. And that really means a lot to me. So, you know, thank you for subscribing. Uh, You'll never miss an episode. Sometimes I do bonus episodes. And um, the other thing is that in a podcatcher, when when somebody subscribes, uh, the and I'm sure you probably know this because everybody talks about this right on their shows, but um, the podcatchers are much more likely to sort of go, oh, there have been some subscribes on this show. So we're going to, you know, we're going to, bring it up higher in the rankings. We're going to feature it a little bit more. And um, that just means a lot because it means that more people can see that this show exists. So that that means a lot. It's real. It's very grassroots. And um, I love it because it's like we're building a community together. And that really means a lot. So and thank you also for your positive reviews for all the reasons I've just described. I mean, they make me so happy. They help me with with understanding what's working for you. And, um, and that just really, really means a lot. I read them all. Um, and sometimes I even read them out on the show. So although I don't want to do that today, because I want to get to our guest. And um, I want to talk right now, just before we get to the guest about our sponsor. Uh, this week, the show is sponsored by the amazing Janine Halloran and a product that she has created for uh, for you if you have a young child who has any kind of what are called big feelings at all. So any uh, coping skills are really going to be important when we think about um, helping a child get through some of the tough things that come up for kids. There, it's it's tough for a, a grown up to understand and use coping skills um, competently all the time because. Uh, that's the nature of humanity. We can get taken away with our emotions. But these coping skill cue cards that Janine has come up with um, really help with that. And so we're going to hear from Janine directly in a moment. I, Before we get to that, though, I wanted to uh, share the following. So 
Janine's sponsorship pays for production, editing, and web hosting for We Turned Out Okay. But before we get into that, my time in creating the show is supported by the members of our Ninja Parenting community. So I was referencing Jen before. She has been a longtime member of the Ninja Parenting community, which is NPC for short. Uh, I teach Ninja parents how to get good behavior from their children, how to handle their toughest parenting struggles, and how to feel in tune with their children and enjoy family time for real. And so the things that can limit us from feeling in tune are the very things that get discussed. And so this past week, actually this morning, as I'm recording this on Halloween, um, a mom got in and uh, her name in the forms is Baby Brain. And she basically, she wrote a post called, I'm going to just go right up to it. Uh, it's called Discipline Versus Consequences. And her question is, like, I am so mystified by the idea of uh, consequences and discipline, like they, they, it's very nebulous. It it felt like, and so, um, so I was able to just create a, a video for her and for everybody in the community because that's how it works, um, on understanding the differences, where they relate, where they cross, how to utilize each, um, each thing as, as you're as you're raising your kids and and using them to like have a better relationship with your kids, which just makes everybody feel better and you know, and ultimately helps us have more fun. So that's the kind of thing that the, the ninja parenting community can do. We get really deep on these, these issues that can, um, can really hold us up from, you know, from liking our kids, much less uh, enjoying our, our life with them. Uh, we always love them. I feel like we always love our kids, right? Um, but sometimes it can feel really difficult to like them. And so that's kind of what NPC helps with. Uh, it, it's all online. So there's help for you 24 seven. Um, and, and that's just one of the reasons that this community works. It really works because, uh, it's a really positive place where we can get in and, and get help and support each other. There's been some, uh, some members have been sort of sharing, commenting on others posts. And so it's really becoming just a, a it is, and has been for quite a while, a very supportive place, but there's a, there's a, there's a new vibe in there that I'm really enjoying. So come along and 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 try it out. Go to weturnedoutok.com slash join NPC and see, you know, what you think. All right. And now a word from Janine herself from our sponsor. I am here with our wonderful sponsor, Janine Halloran, who has created these beautiful coping cue card decks. And my question right now, Janine, is... What do the deck names signify? There's a bunch of different decks with a bunch of different names. Like what what do they mean? Right. That's a perfect question. So every coping skill I can sort of divide into these five categories. So distraction uh, skills, uh, relaxation skills, sensory skills, processing skills. So they get all divided into these areas because some kids really benefit from one more than the other. So for example, I've worked with kids who really benefit the most from movement. I've worked with other kids who really benefit from sensory. I've worked with kids who really love relaxation over the other kinds of skills. So it makes it a little bit easier for kids to really focus and hone in on the skills that work for their body, work for their their style of personality. And it's a great way to just sort of dig in and get a little bit more deep on what will work for them. Cool, cool. And that's, that's such a neat 
reason to do it, like a, a neat way to do it. I love, I love these cards so much, which is why I really wanted you to hear about them and, and um, why I'm so grateful to have Janine as our sponsor. And Janine, you are holding one of the cards from one of the decks. So which deck is it from? It's from the sensory deck. Okay. And what's the card? This is use a sensory bin with rice, beans, or sand with a calming scent like lavender or vanilla. And this, as a school counselor, I would use this all the time. I even, you know, big kids, I would have middle schoolers and even high schoolers playing in the sand and they loved it. Sometimes I would have a, a Zen garden, but a lot of times I would just have like just a sand tray. And kids love sand. Little kids love it. Big kids love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so one of my favorite places to be when I was a preschool teacher was at the manipulative table because a lot of times that's where you would get things like bins of sand or Play-Doh or something that's very um, sensory, like something that that just feels good to play with and have in your hand. So that's really, really cool. Well, thank you very much for sponsoring the show. And thank you for being here with me today, Janine. Thank you. Each deck of Janine's wonderful coping cue cards includes at least 40 cards. That's the discovery deck, which has a bunch of different uh, it has cards from the different decks in it. And most of the, all the other ones have 44 cards. And each of the cards helps your child deal with sensory overload, with getting distracted, with learning to relax and more. You can use them to help your child learn the coping skills to cope with problems that come at them. And as a visual reminder to use one of the coping skills, uh, maybe even by placing its card on the fridge or another place at home. And all of the cards taken together can help. The, each of them gives a way to expand your child's toolbox of coping skills, which is which is really what we're going for, because these are lasting skills that they will be able to take into their lives. When you go to copingskillsforkids.com slash OK, that's O-K-A-Y, and uh, get 15% off of your order by using the coupon code OKAY, that's all caps, OKAY. You are not only supporting our show when you're doing that, and believe me, you are supporting our show. I'm so grateful to you for for doing that. Uh, You're giving your child critical skills for coping with challenging stuff. You're giving them tools they'll be able to use all of their lives. So go to copingskillsforkids.com slash OK, and remember to use the code OKAY so that you can get 15% off your order. All right. uh, Thank you so much for listening. And now I'm very excited to bring you Hunter Clark Fields. Here we go. Before she became a parent, today's guest was a painter and a teacher, and she did lots of other really good and interesting things in her in her life. And then once she became a parent, she found, according to her website, where there's some beautiful writing on this, she found that some of those good things were kind of hard to reclaim and integrate back into her life. So it's been a real journey for her about integrating those good things into her life and also being a parent. And the really cool thing is that she takes takes all of us along on that journey with her. She's written a fantastic book called Raising Good Humans and her podcast and website, which are called Mindful Mama Mentor. Today's guest helps us all learn to integrate good things into our lives as parents with these pieces of wonderful content that she is putting out and creating for for the world. And I'm very, very excited to dive into her process and all of the other exciting aspects of today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Hunter Clark Fields. Welcome, Hunter. 
Thank you. What a nice intro. I usually don't get to hear the intro. It's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I was taught um, as a very, as a, as a young podcaster, when I was first coming up, I was taught to do it that way. And I love it because I feel like we can, it, it, it sets the tone for the conversation. Um, I love when a guest feels like, oh my gosh, they already, you know, I, when, when you can feel comfortable because I, I understand, you know, some, the things that you've been working on and, and stuff like that. I feel like it starts us off at a bit of a deeper place. And, uh, right. and I like that. <laughs> so, uh, so welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. I love to start off talking about like guests' childhoods. And it's funny because just before we started recording, we were talking about, I did not realize this, that you grew up in Rhode Island, which is just down the road from where I live currently. Oh, yes. And Rhode Islanders, we are a little bit of a strange and unique breed, <laughs> to be sure. In what way? <laughs> like what makes you Rhode Islanders strange and unique? <laughs> I don't know. Rhode Islanders, you know, we just, it tends to be, you know, it's a place where people sort of, they, they, they kind of, we kind of hole up in our little space and, and, uh, you know, we, we all grow up on coffee milk and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I know the coffee milk phenomenon. I remember being 11 years old and like walking down the street in my town in Bristol, Rhode Island and saying to myself, I will pronounce my R's. I will pronounce my R's. I will pronounce my R's. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. So I come from Canada. My my uh, my parents grew up in, in Montreal. I was born in, and lived in Montreal as a little kid. And then when we moved down here, so I live just outside of Boston and here, uh, you know, there are very few R pronouncers. And I think with a lot of pride, you know, a lot of people are, are like, this is, yes, this is the way we talk. And my mom wasn't having any of it. She was like, you will not speak like that. And so we learned, basically, we had, we spoke two dialects, school and home. <laughs> and, uh, and I like that now, because I'm able to go back and forth of it. You know, when I'm talking to, to my Boston friends, I can slip right into that. And when I'm, you know, in, in talking with the Montreal people or the Canadians, I can, I can do that as well. And, um, I only got made fun of a little bit in college where I, I went to the university of Connecticut and, um, I did get ribbed for, for dropping ours. You know, I, they'd be like, Oh, do you need your newspaper? Yeah. When I went to college, I went to University of Delaware and I, I, at one point as a freshman, I was like, oh, can you tell me where the nearest bubble is? And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, and probably, I mean, you may not even know that, but like oh, a bubble. Yes. It's a water it's fountain. It's a water fountain. Exactly. Yeah. It's a more, way more fun way to say water I fountain. like bubbler. Yeah, I it works. I have to say. But like, you know, when you're in first grade in Rhode Island, you you know, you have to raise your hand to go to the bubbler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So I try, I'm trying to think where Bristol is in relation to um, specifically the Charlestown Breachway where my husband, Ben, and I, we just, uh, he took a day off work last week and, and he, we went fishing. Well, I went for a walk and he went fishing at the Charlestown Breachway, which um, he caught two striped bass and it was very exciting. They were like two feet long. I mean, they were huge. And uh, it was really, really cool. So I, I'm sure in Rhode Island, you're never very far away from the ocean. But where is Bristol in relation to, you know, the beaches or or specifically yeah, yeah. Charlestown? 
Uh, Charleston's a little bit on the west, I think, right? Um, yep. Bristol is on the east side, and it's uh, halfway between Providence and Newport, and it's just before you cross over the bridge onto the Aquidneck Island. Oh, cool, cool. All right. I, I know exactly where that is. Um, it, 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 yes, yeah. it is a lobster claw-shaped town. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, There have been re- repeatedly now a, a group of girlfriends, my best, best, best friends. Actually, listeners can hear them in episode zero of the show where I did a show, you know, how episode zero is often about the podcaster. And the way I did it was I brought on my four best friends buddies and we talked about our unplanned adventures and so it's a long one but it's well worth it and anyway so every year for probably four or five years we spent a weekend in Newport uh together and I I wish we could still do it but our you know you get into you go through these cycles of life right so now we're all into people are graduating and having bridal showers and babies and stuff like that so it's hard to find that time for to carve out a whole weekend but um but Rhode Island is a beautiful place (laughs) and I am I'm happy to have been able to uh you know spend some time there uh so like in terms of your childhood so um I, I've never actually asked this question on my show before, but I've heard it asked, uh, I've heard other podcasters ask this question and I've decided you're the, you're the one Hunter who I, I'm going to try it on first. <laughs> so <laughs> what did your childhood smell like? Smell like? Yeah. Wow, that's a weird, Isn't I mean, it funny? I- it's, a, it's a weird one. Yep. That's a strange question. I mean, actually, growing up in Rhode Island had a lot to do with the smell of my childhood because it smelled very salty. You know, it's like I was a block away from the ocean or for most of my childhood. And so there's like, you know, the harbor and it's, you know, there's that kind of salt, damp air that 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 would be the smell, I think, that I associate most with my childhood. Although another smell that was really powerful for me was the smell of a wood shop. Because my father oh. um, was a, a wood carver, sign carver, um, and had his own business. Um, if you are in that area of, you know, Rhode Island and, and, and southern Massachusetts, you may be familiar with sort of gold leaf, black sand sign, style signs. And he made those. Oh, and, yeah. And that um, smell of sawdust is like, oh, and when I was in college, I remember walking by a, like a wood shop and I was just like hit with this like nostalgia for home and because it was his shop was attached to our house for a a long time so yeah maybe uh the salt air and and sawdust and sawdust (laughs) I love it I it's 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 such a peculiar question and um it's actually so there's a there's a there's an entrepreneurial podcaster named Michael O'Neill and um he was a huge mentor of mine when I first started um podcasting and in fact, he's the one, so uh, longtime listeners might know, I have a tendon disorder. And when I had like 5% use of my hands, I wrote to Michael O'Neill because I was trying very hard to create some sort of online business. And um, I wrote to him to say thank you because he was he was helping me, even though I didn't have the use of my hands. And he read my letter on the air, and then he gifted me... Uh, three months, three free months in his super high level mastermind where we, I mean, it was so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, such a, such a great guy (laughs) and, um, and really knowledgeable about things like brands. So we, we turned out okay is what it is, you know, in terms of like the name and the, the sort of, uh, he, he really helped me develop like, what, what are you going to talk about on this show? And like, will it actually be a podcast? That was a question at first. And, um, and in listening to his interviews, I don't actually, I haven't listened to him in quite a while. Um, 
But when I when I listened to him really intensively for the first, I don't know, two, three years of the show of my show, he asked guests that. And it was so funny because some guests were like, well, that's a what the like what? (laughs) And or, or people would sort of not want to answer it like they would debate the 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 reasonableness of the question and then some people do what you did which is basically dive in and go what did it smell like and um it was really it was just such fun to sort of it was a very playful way i felt like to start a conversation and um and i was glad that you were able to jump in there and play along because um my thought was like maybe maybe hunter doesn't want this but (laughs) um but it, it worked out. And, it, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of my own childhood as well. So I didn't have the ocean nearby, but I loved uh, we had a brook that ran behind our house. So so, you know, sort of deep woods. Uh, mm. There's there's a smell that you don't smell anywhere else except sort of in the in the woods. And especially mm. there's water like a running river or a brook or something like that has a has like a just a wonderful kind of smell that to this day, uh, my husband and I go walking in a park like usually every week. And it's right along a, a river and a canal. And there's a place where you can stand um, where the river kind of widens out. And if the breeze is right, I'll smell the river. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that's so it, like returns me to my childhood. <laughs> that and good Italian food cooking in the kitchen, because that's what we had. That's what we had growing yeah, up. Yeah, no, I have to go back to the ocean a lot. I, I really miss it often. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How far? So you are based, are you, you're just outside of Philadelphia, did you say? Yeah, I'm yeah. in northern Delaware, just outside of Philadelphia. And actually, it's kind of funny. I can see kind of the Delaware River mm-hmm. uh, from it's not not too far from if I walk just a, a little bit, but it's very industrial down here. It's it's not even access. You can't really access the shoreline very much here. Hmm. Um, so it's very it's very different experience. Um, like you don't you, you just have don't to have... drive like an hour and a half. Oh, my get... gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I'm sure there are wonderful things about living where you live. <laughs> I, I have a brook, actually. We have, um, where we live, we live in a funky little community, actually, called Arden, which has its own, it's it's kind of an, an intentional community that's a little over 100 years old. But mm-hmm. um, we have these woods, and we have a, right across the street, we're in a little cul-de-sac, there's um, a little playground, and then uh, a, a little creek. And I love watching, have watch my girls grow up with this creek and just playing with this creek and always fishing in the creek and in the woods and every I swear every single friend that comes over we have to like we we've never told anyone to bring the extra pair of clothes but we should have been for years and years and years because every child gets wet coming coming over yeah yeah I mean when you think about like the crayfish catching right and and um I remember that I remember doing that a lot and I also remember um, when the skunk cabbage would come out at the beginning. Yep. Like, I don't know if you guys have skunk cabbage. <laughs> yes, we do. And um, it was so beautiful, but so smelly. And then the ferns would come out. Oh, my gosh. I loved I loved that when the ferns would like you'd start to see these ferns unfurling. And mm. um, there's a lot to be said about nature for mm. for good, good stuff. <laughs> so how old are your girls now? 12 and nine. Oh, wow. So so in the in those kind of middle schooly sort of years um just out of early childhood are you enjoying them yes I am I mean there is um sometimes like you know some drama and things and that happens but um I you know I feel really heartened because I I feel like with 
um, you know, what I teach in, in raising good humans and mindful parenting has kind of come to fruition. And one of, one of the th ideas is that um, you're, when this idea that we have of, of teenage rebellion, adolescent re rebellion is, you know, we kind of have this idea that, oh, this is just this normal thing that everybody goes through and, and your, your kids will be crazy and they'll hate you and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, your kids do say I hate you once in a while, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, that's true. But I don't, I do think that they, what they are rebelling against is not the, it's not the parents per se, but the uh, destructive um, the, the discipline or the, the kind of like the way the, the destructive kind of techniques that, uh, and ways of communicating that the parents are using. I think that's what kids are rebelling against. I know that for me, that's what I was rebelling against intensely when I was, uh, a teenager and, and kind of what I'm seeing, which I'm really heartened by is that my 12 year old wants to still be close to me mm. and she, you know, she, I get the eye rolls, I get all that stuff, but she, she wants to hang out with me and, and be close to me. And she's almost 13. And I, and I feel because I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not issuing like orders and commands and things like that, that she wants to push back against so much. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of at the beginning edge of this, but I, I having talked to many people, um, on the other side, I feel like uh, there's a very, a, a great sense of hopefulness because, I, my relationship, you know, our relationships are close mm -hmm. and the path we started when she, she was like one and a half was not leading to this rosy outcome. Really? Sure. So, so like, I, um, I feel really, um, I feel really good about it. You know, we, we have to talk about the, those adolescent things and I get all those eye rolls and things like that, but, um, but also we're, we're really close. And so it feels like a great, I, I think I read a book. I, I can't remember the name of it now, but I read it when my now 19 year old was probably 12, 11 or 12. And it talked about how when you have like once your child hits adolescence, first of all, it's likely going to be before their looks change, you know, their mindset is changing, but you don't see that. And um, when that happens, now they have a sort of biological directive to be independent, to to make it mm -hmm. on their own. And uh, anything like at that point, we go from being a person who can say, you know, put that down, you could get burned or something to uh, like, to, we have to, we have to influence them in different in a different way. Because if we say to them, put that down, they're going to be like, oh, no, it's fine because I'm an independent person and I know like what's fine for me. And and um, I, I feel like the the whole gist of this book was your relationship has to shift from I'm the parent. So you will listen to me if it ever was that really um, to like I'm a person who can influence you in terms of my role modeling and the and, and the empathy I can share for you in your position and like. Um, instead of offering advice, what I'm going to do is say, how can I help and and see what you come back to me with kind of a thing. And uh, mm -hmm. it's it's like a whole it's almost the opposite of the way that we would think about what what you could or should do with teenagers. And it has been super, super helpful. So it's not quite a friend relationship, right? Because there are times where we still have to be the mm -hmm. parents like we can't, you know, I don't know, go out and, and party with them or something like that. But um, but but it comes through, I have noticed it a little bit more happening with like role modeling and, mm -hmm. and, um, 
it's it seems to me to be very true that when we when we practice what we preach with the teens that really makes a big difference like so i'm thinking of one uh one particular example which i shared i did share a couple episodes ago um but i feel like it's worth it's worth a quick story again um my 15 year old and i uh have had some con- he wants to be in a band and so we've had some conversations about like what's band life like and um one of the things that inevitably comes up in a conversation about band life is alcohol and drugs because there's a lot of alcohol and drugs being offered to people in bands mm-hmm. and um there's just a it's a different kind of life right it's you're up late so maybe you're taking something to stay awake and 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 then when you're ready to go to sleep you take something to go to sleep and um it's not true of every you know obviously not true of every band member or whatever but like my fears for my child are like he's going to get caught up in this world and you know he'll be an alcoholic by the time he's 25 and whatever so um so i said to him you know what has really worked for me in terms of um in terms of staying in control at at like a party or something like that is um to to nurse one drink to nurse a drink all evening and he's like oh my god that's brilliant like what a good idea and so here i am having this conversation with a 15 year old about like alcohol and parties and stuff like that which felt in the moment kind of weird but i'm really glad like he felt really respected and then a few days or weeks later we were at a party where i was driving home he was sleeping over i was driving home and um I did that where I I actually didn't even have a complete drink, but basically I just, I was with friends from my life and and there was lots of noise and singing and, um, and there was alcohol being consumed around me, but I didn't have any. And, 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 uh, what, as I was leaving, he, he, he asked me, he goes, mom, are are you sober? (laughs) And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, why? And he said, well, uh, one of his friends took a video of all of us dancing in the kitchen. (laughs) He was very worried that I was not sober because of it. And um, I said, yeah, don't you remember that? I said, do you remember that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about nursing a drink? And like, he goes, oh, my God. Yeah. He he goes, you did that. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I did. And I feel like he he now gets to see me a having fun and b uh, doing what I said. It's a good thing to do. Does that does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. My yeah, my worry about that is with screen time, because my work is on a screen and my husband's work is on a screen. And we have been very deliberate about limiting screen time. And, and, you know, there, you know, I'm I'm worried about that, uh, because sometimes we have to and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be the hypocrite. We've got to walk the talk, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important, but you know, what you're talking about is that sort of like difference between, um, you know, kind of power and influence and, um, kind of the old school model is that, um, you know, you, you know, when you, you have a baby, you have like complete power, right. Mm-hmm. You know, over everything. Like when you eat, when you, uh, when your bottoms change and all those things and, and we start, we, we, we have to kind of start to shift. And, and what I really realize is that, you know, when you have an adolescent, you've, you've basically run out of a lot of power in some ways because your child is a lot more independent. And so there, there has to be, there has to be more of a influence relationship rather than a power relationship. Yeah. And that, that influence relationship can only be there if they're, 
is a real relationship where you are a real human and you are, you know, and you are practiced in seeing and hearing each other and respecting each other. And you can, you know, cultivated that relationship where you care about each other. And that's where that all comes from. Oh, I love that. I, I think that's such a great way of clarifying this idea, which I mean, 30 seconds ago felt very nebulous to me, which is why I told like a five minute story about it because it, it was hard to grasp, but that's exactly it. You've got, you know, there's a power continuum, a power sort of an influence continuum. And I I would make a case that even with very young children, there's there's definitely, we got to say no a lot to them. I read a book one time where um, it was called The Slight Edge. And one of the things they talked about in the book was how we, the, uh, studies have shown, or a study was done and, and showed that uh, we say yes I think it's like a fifth of the time compared to when we say no. <laughs> so we, with children, especially, we, there's a lot of no in their lives. But if we can, if we can think about having an influence over their, over their, you know, influencing their mindset or their decisions or something like that in the times when we don't have to give a hard no, um, where we can, where we can share the power with them. I think yeah. the, the sooner we can do that, the better, right? Yeah, yeah, because then they're not, you know, constantly used to resisting everything you say, you know, I think that's part of the part of the problem is, is like, yeah, we're like, no, 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 no. And and then your your child just gets used to resisting everything because they don't, you know, they don't want to be kept under your thumb. And yeah, um, and nobody wants to nobody wants to be sort of controlled and, and, and no one wants to have be ordered around and, and, and things like that. And so there we develop, um, we don't even realize it, but like by the time you've got a four-year-old, you've developed this, this strong habit of resisting everything you say. And that, you know, that to that age old question, why isn't my child listening to me? Um, there's, you know, there's real reasons, you know, and, and we, we talk to children culturally very differently than we talk to, um, adults, you know, um, in my, uh, in my community recently, you know, I was, we were talking about this and I was thinking like, well, you know, I asked a, a, a client, I said, you know, well, how would you, how would you ask, you know, if this was your, your friend's child or better yet, if this was like your respected aunt, Martha, <laughs> How would you ask her to pick, you know, to put on her shoes because you had to go somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, we have this very, just culturally, it's just in the soup of the, the world that we live in. We have this way of kind of barking orders and, and, and being, you know, in some ways really rude to kids, but we just don't even realize it, you know? Yeah. And, and even, um, we might say something to our kids and just expect like, oh, instantaneously they will pop up. I mean, I find myself doing this. Like I, I, my expectation is that they will just jump up and do what I ask them to do, like, <laughs> whatever the thing is. And, but I would never expect, you know, if I check myself there, I would never actually expect my husband to just jump up and instantaneously do what I asked. Right. Yep. We have this different expectation, um, for kids. And I think that one of the things that, 
like mindfulness helps us to do is just develop our awareness around, oh, what am I expecting? And, and, and how is this different? And start to kind of take this perspective of stepping back to say, well, well, how does this look different from the way other ways I interact with people? And, you know, um, what I think one of the best reflectors of, of how your language or your relationship is going in some ways is like when you have, um, an, an older child who starts to talk to their younger child and say exact same things you would say to yes. you know? so them. They start barking orders at their younger sibling and you're like, oh no, <laughs> that's what I sound like. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> no the, wonder. <laughs> that is that movie, um, A Christmas Story with uh, that little kid named Ralphie in the movie. And um, there's a part in that movie, which you may remember if you've seen it, where um, she has put soap in her child's mouth and because he swore and, um, and his, but his father swears all the time. Like his father just curses up and down all over the place. And so the soap is in his mouth because this is a movie that takes place sort of in the thirties or forties. And like they, that was a disciplinary way of, you know, tactic. And so, uh, this, she pulls the soap out of his mouth and she says, how did you learn that word? And he says, I learned it from my friend. So she called the mom, puts the soap back in his mouth, calls the friend's mom and says, uh, so <laughs> did you know that my son just said, and she whispers into the phone and you can hear the mom go, bah! you know, and she's, and she says, do you know where he, where he says he got that word or where he got that word? And you hear the woman on the phone go probably from his father. And she's like, what? No, she says she got it from your son. And so now, you know, we're hearing him get, get the business on the other end of the phone. And, um, but it's so true. Like we, we might be the ones who are, we likely are, especially if they're very young, they're taking, they are modeling us. We're always modeling something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are always imitating something or often they're imitating things. And it's good to think about, to think about those things. So I feel like I have so much that I want to get in, you know, kind of get into with you and talk about. And uh, we, just before we started, just before we hit record, you showed me some incredible, beautiful paintings that you created uh, when you were, were you in college? Is that when you were a college student? Oh, no. Um, that was that was after my daughters were born. Oh, my gosh. How cool. Yeah, so, so OK, mm-hmm. so I was I had kind of been thinking that I would ask you about because you have this wonderful idea. Well, I, just, I don't know how wonderful it is, but you have this really compelling idea about harmful generational patterns. Mm-hmm. And I was I, my question was going to be like, if this was done, which I was sort of picturing you creating those paintings in college, like, was that a way for you to work out some of these, some of the generational things that you had taken with you into your adulthood. And, and so now I think I'm just going to make it a more general question. Like, no, yes. Okay. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. So, so the paintings you're describing, I I've, I've did, um, I've did years and I'm kind of sort of known for some paintings of their, um, animal, um, animal heads, mostly predator heads. Uh, They're like chimeras of pregnant nude women's bodies or nursing mom's bodies Mm -hmm. and animal heads. And, um, and I've, I've hit up kind of all my, my pregnant and nursing friends as well as my models. Funny on. Um, But, um, but yeah, no, it, a lot of this had to do with before I got pregnant, around when I was pregnant, and then when my daughters were younger. And a lot of the same energy I put into that paint, those paintings I put into the work that I do now. Um, And but so it is about understanding. A lot of that work is about understanding 
and accepting um, the transformation of motherhood. And I think that the transformation of motherhood is just so, it's so um, enormous. You know, every, it changes every relationship you have, your relationship with your body and things like that. And for me, I really realized, you know, I, I was incredibly struck by how, um, how strange pregnancy was. You have another <laughs> being in your body with a, another set of eyeballs in there. Like it's really weird. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, um, and so it's, it's, and, and then you just realize what, you know, that you are this animal, right. And you have these instincts and, and like us way aside from the way, you know, our, culturally we kind of portray in this soft focus like baby powder kind of way and really it's kind of like gross it's kind of oozy it's instinctual and it's very animalistic yeah you were a mammal like creating this this um experience and i really felt um you know and i and when my girls were young i felt um the the pressure in some ways, like, um, like feelings coming out, like, like, um, like anger and aggression. And there's all this pressure that we have as mothers to never feel anger or aggression or frustration or all of the yes. things that we feel, but it's there. It's this part yeah. of the spectrum of the human experience. So what do you do with that? And where do you put that? And I felt like it was part of like, I am this human animal. And, and there are these parts of this that we can look at, we can understand and accept, we can sort of expand our awareness to include these different parts of ourselves. And really those pieces like my aggression and my anger were the things that became my greatest teachers you know they were the things that helped me transform these harmful generational patterns in me but i had to i had to kind of come to terms with them yeah. like you know be okay with them being there start to i rather than fighting them i had to like start to wrap my head around them and my heart around them. And the way I've done that throughout my life is with my painting is, is that's how I, that's how I work through a lot of issues. I probably could have seen a therapist many, many times. And <laughs> I did a lot of painting in my studio and, um, and yeah. And, and, and then I took a lot of what I, you know, and also what I studied and learned and I've been reading and studying about, um, mindfulness and self-awareness um, and Buddhism and all these different things um, for for many many years since I was a teenager and and kind of taking all of these things and and putting I put that into these paintings but I also then kind of put it into the work that I do. Oh wow, I love that. Um, you reference you you talk about in just in what you were just saying that you you grew to see these challenges as teachers and i want to get into that but before before i do i just want to say how resonant it feels with me when i was a new mother and i had those feelings too of like of not so much aggression but frustration and just profound sadness and that that really seemed for me to come from the from guilt because i felt i would have the thought I do not want to feed this kid right now. I do not want to be doing this right now. And then into my mind would crowd like, well, you asked for this. You know, you really wanted this kid. Like now you're going to have to. And and then that would make me feel like what kind of a mother would have these thoughts? And then it just, for me, it contributed to a whole year of postpartum depression. And um, I wish that I had known that other people felt 
these things too. And that like, and to be able to look at it and say like, well, you, you do have all of these things going on in your body and like, you know, this is all new (laughs) for you, but it's also something that's been done for eons. And maybe, maybe there are other ways to frame this, you know, or other ways to think about it. And, and it seems to me that you have come up with a very eloquent way to think about it, which is these generational patterns that we, that we go through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see at that point, I could, I could really see like, you know, so, you know, when I had it, when my oldest daughter was a toddler, so cute, right? My, she, my, my buttons got pushed. I was like a huge, one big button. And, <laughs> and part of it was because I was this, this, this whole change was so different. And I was kind of wondering like, why am I not enjoying this the way my like crunchy birth center mom friends were? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, and I was struggling with it, but you know, my, when I, my anger came out, I really started to, I had all that guilt. I started, you know, oh, I'm a terrible mother. But, and as I kind of worked through these different stages of kind of dealing with this, I really started to, I was, I felt so much shame because I could see my father's anger, you Mm. know, and he had so much anger and it, and it was really interesting. You know, we, um, you know, I, I, I'm a lot like my father, you know, we have a, a, the artistic gene and, and we both are very intense and, you know, we kind of go, you know, through these sort of highs and lows and things like that, which is, you know, why I was really drawn to meditation and mindfulness. It's helped even me out a whole lot, a lot, mm-hmm. but he, um, um, I could see, I could see this, this anger coming out and I could see, Oh, like everything my daughter's doing feels so unacceptable for me when she has these big feelings, it feels so unacceptable deeply to the marrow of my bones because it was so unacceptable for my father. Yeah. And, and it was so unacceptable for my father because it was so unacceptable for his father. And I remember, and his mother, I remember having a conversation with my dad when they came to visit and my daughters were young and he was like on the food. <laughs> and, uh, and I, and he was really, he said to me in a really heartfelt way, cause he's, um, you know, he said, you know, when I was young, my, my, and I knew this, you know, my father used to beat me with a strap and, um, and, and when you were young, I used to spank you and now you're not doing any of that. And that's really wonderful. And I thought, okay, he's like, it's, it's good. It's improving. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's great. But I like that just not hitting my child is not enough. Like just not, not screaming at my child is not enough. Like for me, like this is so important to me that I need to really stop this, this harm that we've been perpetuating on each other mm-hmm. now. Like it, ha- it has to stop now. I can't, you know, I have to find the, you know, find the tools to understand this and the, and the patterns and the ways to, to do that. And that's really what, what brought me to the, you know, a lot of the work that I do. And did you, did you come to that? Like how, when, once you, once that idea sort of formed in your mind, where did you go? Like, where did you start looking or, or what sort of, what were you reading or, or consuming, watching to try and understand like, where's a better place to go? You know what I mean? What, what can I do mm-hmm. instead? Well, I, I dug into back into my mindfulness learning, which I had been reading about. And I had started a meditation practice like that was very steady, like two years before my daughter was born. So I had thought, oh, everything's going to be so great. <laughs> It'll be so uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, I dug, I dug back into that. I really anchored myself into that because I had seen already like this kit had the power to transform my life from falling into these sort of pits of despair every couple of weeks and, yeah. and to, to getting rid of those. Okay. So I'd seen it had this incredible power. So I kind of dove back into the, I started reading teachers like my, um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh is an incredible teacher for me, but I, I started, um, you know, listening to, I listening to podcasts. One of my, the best, um, reading, reading about, uh, reading, mindfulness teachers and things like that. But as far as a podcast that was really influential and that I still love them very much, the Zen Parenting Radio podcast oh, where I Kathy love, talked about, you know, uh, your self-awareness and and uh, allowing yourself those feelings and all of these things were, was really deeply influential to me. And now they're, they're friends and I, I love them very much. And, but that was a, something I, I listened to while I was trying to kind of get myself through the other side to this of this, of this really dark chasm. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I sort of like went into like kind of an intensive course of learning, trying to understand, okay, how do I do this? How do I, how do I calm down? And, and then how do I not say the wrong thing so that my daughter turns into this explosive, um, time ticking time bomb, um, again, you and, know, and then, and that really does bring you like now that they're older, the, it, it's, it's a lot more clear to me. You, you referenced at the beginning of the show sort of that it didn't, what had, what was happening when they were little didn't, you know, didn't foreshadow this rosy future and, you know, this moment that you're in now. I just think that's so cool, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel really, um, it's one of the greatest, you know, it, it really touches me deeply to see that like we are really close now. Cause I really could feel that our relationship kind of being hurt by the, the kind of back and forth patterns that were happening then, you know, cause it's yeah, so interesting, yeah. like that insane intense, uh, you know, nature that is my father and his intensive artistic nature and, and it is me, right? Like I feel things very deeply. I'm a highly sensitive person. Definitely. That's my father. That was my daughter. I was like, yeah. Oh my God, like, no wonder this is all so challenging. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I could, I, I, it became, work. So it became this work that I had to do. And then as I, you know, and as you teach something, you learn it deep into the marrow of your bones. And I'm always, always continuing to, to learn and practice. Yeah. And your, your podcast is at 180 something, 187 maybe episodes. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm at 300. So I, I think yeah. we're still learning, right? Like the, <laughs> well, I feel like for me, one of the reasons that I, I, I keep doing it is because it's still, I mean, I, I hope to always do this podcast, to be honest, because I'm I'm learning stuff too. Things are being reinforced for me in my parenting, in my personal life, um, because I get to talk to amazing people like you and because I get to be a teacher and hear from students and all of that helps me, you know, it informs, it is a kind of work and I feel like it's pretty well the best kind of work, you know. Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. um, you talked about, uh, you So on your website, you have this awesome thing that I wanted to just mention briefly. Everybody should go to mindfulmamamentor.com and just read the Mindful Mama Manifesto. Um, there's a part of it. I, I really want to get into talking about raising good humans. But just briefly before that, um, you just a few minutes ago quoted what I wrote down as my favorite 
part of the mantra, which of the manifesto, sorry, which is mindful mamas see their challenges as teachers, not flaws. And I just, I would love to hear you kind of talk about that a little bit, that idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, those things that are the hardest for us to deal with, these things that are the hardest for us to deal with, these are the thing, those are just like, they're the big blinking bright signposts are saying <laughs> there is something here to work on yeah. that you must learn <laughs> you know like and i think that's why i think of like our kids as little zen masters because you know they're showing you like here's something you need to work on and here's something you need to work on and here's something that you need to work on and if we look at those things as just i hate this about myself this is this flaw i want to push it away the, you know, what we resist persists. Like, it's like trying to, you know, that just doesn't work. When has it ever worked for anyone? It doesn't, right? We can't push yeah. those things away. And really what we, what we need to do is look and say, okay, this is coming up for me. Like this, for me, it was my anger. Like this intense energy is coming up for me. There is some real healing here. There's some real learning here. And, and I, for me to hate my, to blame myself is useless. Yeah, it doesn't help. It doesn't help anyone to blame me. And then if you even think about it, like the especially like losing it with our kids, like we have we were born with a nervous system that is primed to respond to threats. Like, thank goodness, because we're all here. Our our ancestors yeah. had that nervous system. Yeah, it's a great helper. And it, because we have this this nervous system, we have this stress response, you know, literally <clears throat> it 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 by it literally when you when you have your your stress response is activated and that's located kind of in that lower part of the brain in the amygdala and the brain stem it literally when when enough stress response is activated that fight flight or freeze response it literally is bypassing the upper parts of your brain the prefrontal cortex where your verbal ability your creativity your empathy your problem solving all that good stuff mm -hmm. is there and it literally bypasses all of that so that you can react instantly so that you can save you know yourself from a saber-toothed tiger or your child or whatever and yeah. that's why your losing it and so it's literally not your fault like no one no parent in on this planet like woke up and was like i think i'm gonna lose my stuff and my kid today that's a <laughs> yeah. good idea let me do that at four o'clock you know like <laughs> i'll put that in my calendar we, <laughs> we just don't do that yeah. it's not yeah. something you consciously choose and so blaming ourselves is not only not helpful it doesn't even make a lot of sense it's not something that you choose and you want to do yeah so instead if we can say this is a huge big blinking sign that's saying do some work and then we can start to we can start to learn from it if we yeah. don't fight it so much it's like that sign says learn from me <laughs> yes. you know yeah pay attention to me but in a in a in a way that is um not a lashing out or a, a you know a, a pushing away um, yeah with with mindfulness so with with an attitude of kindness and curiosity right so what if we looked at our things rather than is like a spectrum right between judgment and curiosity and we're we're heavily weighted in the judgment sector in our society and mm -hmm, our culture mm -hmm. and um i'm inviting you as a listener to kind of question whether that's actually that helpful and in fact, maybe if we move down that spectrum towards the curiosity end, we're going to learn a lot more. Oh, I love that. Yes. And we definitely will. 
you know, and I, again, I can think of this from the, from the perspective of a, of a chronic illness, uh, well, as a, as a tendon disorder, I guess it is a chronic illness, but, um, when this first started, I, it started in one of my legs and I let my leg, because I didn't know any better, emaciate to the point where, um, the muscles were going in, you know, they, they were no longer concave, they were convex. At, like I had so little muscle tone when I, I first started aquatic therapy in a, in a pool, I had to push my leg to make it go backwards. I mean, it just, there was nothing left on it. And, um, I used to hate my leg. I used to hate it. I mean, I would talk to it and tell it how much I hated it. And it was, it was, it was not a good thing because like I, I was, I was not looking at it as a gentle teacher. I was looking at it as this horrible thing that I just wanted to push away and, and be done with. I actually, I used to dream daydream. It was, I, this was at its worst for me. Or the leg was at its worst for me during the um, one summer Olympics. And I can remember like it was the summer Olympics where the blade runner was really popular, was talked about a lot, which is a, a thing that amputees can um, use so they could run. And, mm. um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm. I remember saying to a friend of mine, the pain is so bad. It was so horrible. And I remember saying to her, I just want to chop my leg off and use a blade runner because then I could walk again. And she was like, you don't want that, honey. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I do. And one of the things that I had to learn was that it was not my leg's fault and that, um, I needed to, and I still do this today. I will do this with my, with all of the issues that I'm having is I need to thank them. For, I need to thank my leg for all it could do for me today. It's like the exact opposite, you know, mm. and, and everything got better when I started being able to do that. And, um, mm. I just, I just love this idea so much. It really, really resonated. Um, and I hope that, that you listening, that it, it feels that way for you too, that you can find your way from, you know, from, from frustration or anger and into like, well, and, and that judgment part of the, of the spectrum and, and coming into like, well, what could this teach me? You know, what could I learn here? And, and how would that make our lives better? You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my first question, Hunter is, do you have a couple more minutes because we are, we're getting <laughs> more time? Yes. yes. Okay. So we can, we can spend maybe another five or 10 minutes talking about the book. Sure. Yeah. Because uh, this book sounds so interesting to me. It is called Raising Good Humans, and I would love uh, to to just hear quickly, like a parent opening this book. I know they're going to feel you have such a, a wonderful, calming presence, and I know they're going to feel that. What um, what would they find when they what will they find when they open the book in terms of like uh, what will be the sort of format or how will it be set up for mm. them? Well, it, it's basically there's um, there's there's two halves, and it, basically what I saw is as I started to like kind of do that sort of intensive learning that I was doing, was that <clears throat> there um, there was sort of the mindfulness world, right? Who who for, you know for they talk about mindfulness for great reason, and they, but they kind of felt that had this message of like if you can just like kind of calm down and be mindful, then um, everything will be all right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but the problem is like when you can calm down and be mindful, that's great. But then if you say some of the language that maybe your parents might have said, it might then make your uh, highly sensitive child explode again, is, which is what I found. Mm -hmm. And then we, I found sort of in the parenting world, they would kind of say, like, 
oh, if you can just sort of change change your language and use this better communication, everything will be fine. But but that doesn't really work out so well because of what I said about, you know, the brain and when you're reactive and you're, yes. you know, you're it's literally bypassing that prefrontal cortex where all that good learning is. So it's kind of useless, right? Uh, it's great so to I have, work- <laughs> but you have to be able to produce it when you really need it. Yeah, you need to access it in the equivalent of the big game, which is like the tantrum, right? Uh, so... <laughs> So what I really saw is that these pieces really needed to come together. And so that's what Raising Good Humans does is it brings together all of this um, research and learning on how to reduce our stress response um, and more uh, with those skillful communication pieces. So the whole first part is about using mindfulness and being able to develop a, a practice that's, you know, that's simple. Um, that doesn't take much time in your day to like help you start to, you know, have, you know, all the benefits of mindfulness, the, you know, less anxiety, less depression, increased um, sense of well-being, increased focus, less reactivity, all of those things that we need. Um, but also um, work on self-compassion because we know that um, if that voice in our inside is very harsh and mean, eventually it's going to come out to your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the work is to start to change our, our voice inside to, to be something more compassionate to ourselves. And then that starts to spill out towards our, our kids. And then the, the second part is kind of moving into like those communication skills that are less likely to cause resistance in your child, you know? So how do you talk? Um, how, how can you listen to help your kids, help your kids solve their own problems? Um, how can you, how can you speak so that you're not causing resistance in your kids? So you can start to, um, have your house and life running more smoothly without like, uh, tons of pushback all the time. And, um, and how can you, when those things don't work, how do you solve the problems mindfully? So everyone's getting their needs met. So interesting. It's a little bit, it's a little bit like, um, (laughs) <laughs> there's I uh I've been working with a coach named Dan Blank and and one of the things that he teaches is um that we all have these things called these creatures called cave trolls. <laughs> and cave trolls are with us always and basically it's a way of you know taking what we might think of as resistance or the things that will hold us back and naming them and and mm-hmm. giving them uh you know and I, not an identity exactly, but but sort of like understanding that these are here for us. They're here with us. And, uh, you know, we can, in a way, we can view them as teachers or we can view them as flaws. So how are we going to look at them, right? And um, he talks about, Dan Blank talks about, we can, how are we going to protect ourselves against when the cave trolls show up? That's one aspect of it. And the other is, how are we going to defend, how are we going to protect against the cave trolls once they show up, how are we going to defend against them? I'm sorry. No, no, no. How are we going to protect ourselves so they don't, you know, we can keep them away. But then sometimes when they do overcome our defenses, how are we going to defend against them? Like, how will we rebuff them or whatever? And it just, it comes up for me because of what you were just saying. There's there's more than one aspect to this. It's like, we need to figure out what we're going to, you know, we have to be prepared. And then we have to be able to use these things in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. like these, these, uh, techniques. So are there any, um, you know, just as we're kind of finishing out here, is there, is there a tactic or, uh, 
an idea in the book that that you've either noticed has really resonated within your community? Or um, is there one that you could kind of leave us with as we're finishing up our conversation? Hmm. Well, I think that some of the things that, um, you know, in Raising Good Humans, I talk about a lot of tools that are like long-term tools, because I really want us to be thinking kind of like the long game of parenting. Mm -hmm. But we also need tools for that like immediate moment that's so intensive. And what I want to invite you to remember, dear listener, is that, that piece about the stress response, that your stress response is something that that you can start to you can start to work with and you can take care of right and so that i think one of the ideas that resonates most is that this idea i mean for me i think this is so valuable that you know if when you think about maybe not wanting to lose it at your child taking care of your overall stress response is one of is probably the number one most powerful thing you can do so like how much overall stress do you have in your life and so when i invite you to think about that. I, we, we tend to get into this idea that like we're being selfish if we're taking time for ourselves or if we're not doing this or, you know, um, that kind of thing. And I, I really want to invite the listener. I want you to remember that self-care is not only not selfish, it's actually your responsibility mm. because it's not your kid's job to make you feel fulfilled and peaceful and happy. They're not going to do that. <laughs> so don't, you're going to search for a long time. It'll yeah. happen sometimes, but it's no one else's job. It's not your partner's job. It's not your friend's job. It's no one else's job. It's your job to have your feet on the ground, to get that sense of peace within and that grounding within. And so if you're not taking any time for yourself, not only for, you know, it, you know, it could be for, for meditation and mindfulness practices and things like that, but also things like reading a, a book on a hammock or going yes. for a walk while your kid's in, in a practice or, or going out with your friends and things like that. It's not, it's not only not selfish. It is actually your responsibility to, to do those things yeah. and to model how a healthy person has a healthy balance of self-care and, and also serving others. I have a really good friend who has a, I can't remember now if it's a shirt. I haven't seen this in a while. I think it might be a shirt that says my alone time is for your safety. <laughs> yes, that's great. I love that. <laughs> it's so true. We have to, it's got to start with that. So when you talk about the stress response, uh, is that, do you mean what's happening in our brains when we are stressed? Is that what the stress response is? Yeah, your whole nervous system. So okay. yeah, it's that fight, flight, or freeze response, just the increasing tense tension of muscles, the quick breathing, the, uh, yeah, all of that stuff, that, that, that feeling of like, I'm starting to get stressed. That's a, that's a teacher. That's a sign. That's a, that's saying like, Hey, it's time for you to actually like do something so you can feel better. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's such an important thing to remember, not just for our kids, but for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, um, just quickly, I love the, the title raising good humans. And I'm curious how you would describe or define a good human? Like what, what is your baseline there, Hunter? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think, uh, a good, I guess a good human is somebody who, um, you know, somebody who has, has their own self-awareness, who can take care of themselves so they can take care of others, you know, in a way, like I, I that's what I want for my kids, right? Is I want them to be able to take care of themselves be able to take care of their energy, make sure they're 
pretty happy and, and balanced and, and all of those things so that then when they, they have the ability to then be present for other people as well. Um, to mm. me, I think about that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like social and emotional learning that goes into being a good human. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I, I think it's such a positive title. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> good. Well, it is, is there anything that, that you would like to add that, uh, that I didn't bring up just as we're finishing out our conversation, Hunter? I think it's been a really interesting conversation and I, I've loved talking to you. Um, yeah, no, I think that, um, yeah, I think if people are are curious, the, the book is a, a great place to start. I maybe, I guess I would add is that we've talked a little bit about mindfulness without kind of defining it and talking about what it what is Good and, point. <laughs> and, um, and, and it can be, it's something, you know, it's about being the intentionally being present, you know, putting your attention in the present moment on whatever's arising, the, the feelings, the thoughts and sensations with a sense of kindness and curiosity. And, um, it can be practiced in many ways, including through meditation or like a walking meditation. You can also do mindful yoga and, and running and all kinds of things, dishwashing. Um, but there is a, it is kind of like, um, a, I kind of think of meditation in some ways as like this kind of like cool parental brain hack that we need, you know, like mm -hmm. that they discovered thousands of years ago. If you just sit still long enough and all your stuff comes up and it's not, <laughs> it's not like you sit there and like rainbow sparkles come shooting out your nose and you feel peace all of a sudden. No, you sit there and you, you notice like how crazy your brain is and you have thoughts of like, I can't do this. And oh my gosh. And all of that stuff, like, that all happens and still those benefits happen if you continue to consistently practice. So I invite the listener to just learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you brought that up because we've sort of, it's almost the, the elephant of the room has been like, we keep talking around mindfulness without really getting into what it is. And I, I think I did that. Like, this is not, I, I was not being a good host in this way. I think I did that because it's a word that we hear all the time now. Yeah. And, um, and my mistake was in, in sort of overlooking that as a, like, maybe somebody, people might be annoyed because it's just this word that we hear all the time and like, oh, it's going to be another conversation about mindfulness, but, but it's so not, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an important, um, uh, theory and maybe it's, I guess, the upside of, of having it be so present in our culture is that, like, it's on people's minds. But um, but I it just makes me really, really glad that that you brought that up. In fact, I think the title for this for this show is going to have to be Mindfulness, a Cool Parental Brain Hack. <laughs> <laughs> because because that is I think that's such a great way to think of it. You know, it's, it's so much more than that. But yeah. it's it's, uh, you know, if you're going to sum it up that is a, that's a good way to think of it. And actually, like when you're just sort of describing what it's like to meditate and uh, it's, it's just bringing me back to for, for, I would say probably the last 10 months or so by the time this airs, I have been working really hard to um, bring, now I was a yoga instructor before I was a, a podcaster and stuff. And so I have some really good, useful meditations that I, you know, could tap into and just 
haven't for a long, long time. Um, I do some breathing. I've done some over these eight years, you know, you don't deal with a tendon disorder without like learning some, some calming techniques or whatever. But I've really started thinking about meditation again as like a, 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 not just a cool parental brain hack, but like a way of feeling good within myself. And, um, and I had forgotten how wonderful it is to meditate. And I had forgotten how flipping hard it is to meditate. <laughs> Uh, I'm reading a book right now that is called, uh, it's the title is something like something about a sweater. And then it's called my, the subtitle is my year of living dangerous, of knitting dangerously. And in it, um, the, uh, the author talks to a yoga instructor who's also a knitter. And the yoga instructor says, there's this idea that like, you can't, a human being has a really hard time getting to the 10th breath without losing their focus you oh, know yeah. what i mean and, and last night i'm thinking like i don't get to my third breath without losing <laughs> yes. it's so hard <laughs> yeah yeah but that doesn't yeah. mean it's not worth doing yeah you know yeah it's, it's it, good work. it is hard simple and and difficult <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah time. yeah very very true yeah. but still very worthwhile very very worthwhile for your relationship with your kids because if we're always in the future if we're, you know, if our brains are always like on the next thing to do and the next thing to do, and what am I going to make for dinner? And, you know, if we, if, and the untrained mind is constantly, you know, most of the time sort of recycling of thoughts from yesterday, mm -hmm. and, you know, then, then when are you ever present with your child? You know, when are you ever really there in the present moment? If we're always in the future, we're not really present. And I think that, um, you know, there's a quote, that really speaks to this and is deep in my heart. And this from Thich Nhat Hanh, the Zen master, he says, when you love someone, the best thing you can offer them is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? Oh, wow. And I just, you know, it just gives me goosebumps every time I think of that still, because it's true. How can you love if you're not there? That's amazing. And can you please spell, you've mentioned that, that teacher a couple of times. Can you spell his I name? <laughs> T H I C H T okay, T H I C H N H A T N H A T okay, tick not H A I think it's H A H N. There's a lot of H's. Okay, yeah, that is a lot of H's. Tick not Han. All right, how can you how can you love? No, yes, that's I'm trying to read my own right now. How can you love if you're not there? Um, I'm writing that down. That is just, you, listeners, you will find that in the show notes, that quote, because it's just so beautiful um, and and really something important to think of. And I think a good place to end on um, because yeah. we want you to be there with your kids. <laughs> Hunter and I want you to be present with your kids as much as possible. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to think about dinner and stuff like that, but but being mindful and being in the moment is so good and so important. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Clunter. Clunter. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hunter Clark Fields. It has been a true pleasure to have you on the show today. It has been such a pleasure to be here, Karen. Thank you yeah. so very much, and and thank you, dear listener, and and yeah, thank you for, thank you for 
having me on and for for doing all the the work you're doing with this uh, we, you know and we turned out okay it's fabulous i love oh, it oh cool i, love I would doing. i would say the same um everybody you can find hunter and all that she does at mindfulmamamentor.com that's where you can find the link to raising good humans it's where you can read the whole manifesto which i just got goosebumps while i was reading and it's really really good and you can find me at we turned out okay.com where uh, there is a place for you to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you need some sanity in your week i try to teach a tool or give a mindset idea or even sometimes i'll even just share a story that um you know that maybe could be helpful in in you keeping your sanity this week while you're raising your your littles um you can find me on twitter and instagram at we turned out okay hunter what is your are you in social media anywhere yeah you can find me at instagram at mindful mama mentor and I will listen to that at mindful. I will listen to that. Listen to me. Oh my God. I will link to that. I don't know what my problem is today. <laughs> I think it's because I'm trying to write and talk at the same time. That is not my. It always messes me up. Yeah. You're that is not, alone. not my, my best flow point. So, all right. So at mindful mama mentor on Instagram. Cool. And finally, I have a special thanks to our producer, the man who helps me be more mindful every day, the 22-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thank you again so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,